This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. Welcome to Destination Cyber, the podcast where we sit down with cyber industry leaders and movers and shakers and find out what makes them tick. We explore their careers, the mistakes they made, trials and tribulations, lessons learnt, and the invaluable insights and knowledge they've picked up along the way. Now here's your host, Lachlan Korn. Hello and welcome to Destination Cyber. Currently, I am targeting students and recent graduates that are interested in the security industry, but may be undecided on the pathway forward. In this week's episode, I will be talking with Cameron Perry, who is well rehearsed within the cybersecurity field, currently being a director of multiple cybersecurity companies. Previously, Cameron had experience in a myriad of other roles, including IT consulting, system administrator, and more. Today, we will explore the career opportunities Cameron chose to better understand how one may access a career opportunity within this field. I'm your host, Lock and Corn, and this is Destination Cyber. Hello, Cameron. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Lock. Thanks for having me today. No worries. My pleasure. I want to dive straight into this because I know we have so many things to talk about. Um, I'm not that first, oh, don't say that. Um, so, <laughs> of course, just want to give the audience a bit of an update on what you're currently doing now. Give me an idea, paint a picture for me, what your role is and what your job description is. Okay, uh, I'm a director of the TMFE group. Uh, TMFE is a company that has a list of interrelated businesses operating under its umbrella. Um, I guess the relevant ones for this discussion are Merksec. Uh, Merksec was started in 2012 as an executive search and recruitment firm for the security industry. Uh, I've still retain operational oversight of that and uh, and just basically really let the guys run it, but I just get in the way um, these days uh, more so than anything else. Uh, and then, of course, probably the, the primary thing that's uh, of interest is the uh, KBI entity. So KBI is a media marketing firm dedicated to cybersecurity. Uh, my business partner, Carissa, and I have been running that for about five years now, uh, almost to the day, in fact. Uh, earlier this year, we split that into two discrete but complementary business units, uh, KBI.digital and KBI.media. .digital is all about essentially creating the content uh, and doing marketing for our clients. And then we take a lot of that content and push that to KBI Media as well as taking media in from other sources like PR organizations, uh, some of our partners in terms of sponsorships uh, and obviously our clients uh, and actually push that content out to the world uh, through various channels, including, of course, KBI.media, not just a clever name. And uh, obviously... This podcast, with its humble beginnings, is soon to become one of the linchpins of that very entity. So if you were to give me sort of a, a routine, what, what, kind of, what kind of things are you doing? Is it very remote-based or is it very in-person? Are you at the office all day? Is it highly stressful? Is it, you know, give me, give me that kind of picture. Sure. Um, most of it's done remotely because we work with people all around the globe, both in terms of our client base as well as our staff. Um, uh, some are uh, in the same city and um, uh, within sort of spitting distance from each other. Um, we've got small offices that we use uh, for those particular organizations. Uh, and then at the same time, we've also got experts um, in their respective fields uh, or niches within the security space uh, that are uh, over in every other continent, just about apart from Antarctica. And that's next on the agenda. 
Okay, interesting. And did you see yourself at all getting into this kind of industry when you were younger? I mean, winding back the time a little bit. Oh, I mean, that's a lot just of time, sort of... mate. 40, yeah. 45 years old now. Yeah, it's a long hey, time. don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, um, well, just sort of winding it back. I mean, show me, tell me how your interest in the cybersecurity industry started. What sparked this this curiosity in the industry? Sure. Um, so I got into technology in the first place um, way back when. So I've always been sort of uh, from my age of about six or seven when I got my first computer. Uh, for the, the elderly pensioners amongst us, I got an Amstrad 640K beast of a machine, uh, mm-hmm. complete with 16 color display. Um, uh, that would have been sort of late, late 80s, uh, mid 80s. Um, uh, and that was sort of the opening of Pandora's box for me in terms of the, the technology side. Always, always interested. Um, that being said, when I got into, uh, like finished uh, high school and went into to, to university, um, I actually went into do economics and law. Um, and I was in my first or second year and my computer died. Uh, not the same computer you'd be pleased to hear, but a newer one. Uh, and being a broke uni student, um, had to MacGyver something and figure it out. And I didn't know much about the, the actual under the hood of the technology at that stage. So ended up pulling the computer apart um, with a sniff test, f- figuring out where the burnt silicon smell and the little puff of smoke had come from, which was, uh, in retrospect, the power supply. Didn't know what it was. Um, so it was like, yep, this looks like it's the power because everything's plugging in and distributing it. So ripped that out and took it down to the local PC store and paid 20 or 30 bucks or whatever it was, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time for a... Uh, new power supply, install it, got everything up and running again, had to go through and sort of under the hood. And that was sort of the, the introduction to, to the more technical side of things. I mean, granted, in it's not that technical by today's standards, but back then <laughs> it was like, oh, you opened a computer and installed something? Wow, sort of magician status, right? Mm. Um, uh, and so uh, by the time that all came up, I was like, hey, yeah, okay. And just, this is interesting. So I started looking a little bit deeper into that and um, the... Uh, Computers at the time on the university campus were all a Unix derivative um, rather than Windows or anything like that, although that was rattling around at 95 stage uh, very early on. Um, uh, but primarily, they're all uh, SCO Unix. So I started sort of learning a little bit more about SCO and how to you know, utilize that appropriately and um, got sucked into that rabbit hole pretty deeply and ended up in the, the comp sci labs with friends of mine until you know overnight <laughs> quite often uh yeah. toying around with them building you know uh, different components um uh, that go into uh distributed computing and and figuring out how to make that work with null modems and all sorts of crazy stuff um because it was all token ring days back then as well so um uh, big lengths of very thick uh, cable rather than Ethernet um, <laughs> and uh, a lot more problems and headaches than simple plug and play. So mm. that was sort of my foray into the base level of computing. Um, then in terms of the cybersecurity stuff, uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago, um, I'd always, always had an interest in that side of things, um, uh, but never really had much exposure to it or experience with it uh, in any meaningful way. Um, uh, other than just uh, tangentially to, to the, the technology side. So when I actually started my IT career per se, um, I started uh, in sort of second level help desk and then third uh, and then sort of climbed the ranks into to sort of more general administration engineering, um, uh, dabbled with a bit of solutions architecture, uh, got to that sort of stage and was like, like, I like IT and I like the security side and it's interesting. Um, but the, the nuts and bolts of it didn't have the same appeal anymore. So I was looking for a, a change in direction. 
um, just as I was getting into cybersecurity, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and then uh, fortunately, I actually caught up with a friend of mine um, that I had known since I was three, probably about four or five years old or something, really young anyway, um, over at a barbecue, um, uh, family friend's place. Um, and he just got into the dark side of recruitment um, and knew that I had a good firm basis in sort of technological understandings and asked if I'd consult with him and, and come in and do some work with them. And I just got back from a long sort of nine month stint holiday, um, bit of a, a belated gap year for me. Um, and sort of said, yeah, sure, why not? So after six, seven, about eight years, I guess, career-wise inside the technology sphere, um, went and started up the uh, security uh, recruitment practice um, eventually uh, for this organization and didn't look back for a very long time. In fact, the business I started off the back of um, several subsequent roles after that um, uh, what about 12 years ago now is still running and doing cybersecurity recruiting. Um, that's sort of how I got, got into the cybersphere in the first place. Um, then obviously, uh, met the, uh, esteemed Carissa Breen, um, about five years ago, hit it off, saw eye to eye on a whole bunch of stuff. And that's where the media started to come into it. And where we started to talk about the issues that a lot of cybersecurity companies have when it comes to communicating what it is they do, what the value is to, uh, uh, non-technical people uh, and uh, other aspects of the business uh, other than just the technology sphere um, and, and trying to break forth from that echo chamber that they all seemingly fell into mm. uh, and how to communicate the value proposition for these technology companies to the wider world. Mm. And in terms, of break, in terms of breaking down sort of the IT versus cybersecurity, you said that there was a bit of a... Can you explain to me and, and the audience the difference between sort of the IT side of, of a field and the cyber security? Because sometimes those lines get a bit um, molded. Yeah, sure. So the, the blurriness, I guess, between those two, two different spheres is often um, more pronounced these days. Uh, the line, the demarcation between those two fields is a lot, uh, a lot more uh, uh, visible than it used to be. Back in the day, cybersecurity was just something that was like bolted on, you'd install antivirus, blah, 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 blah. That's pretty much it. Set up some, you know, very basic firewall rules, set up a, you know, uh, some sort of NAT device and that that was the end of it. Now, as uh, things have progressed, both in terms of the, the technology complexity that underpins everything for businesses uh, and they help personal, um, uh, it's become um, a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex uh, and cybersecurity has sort of been in lockstep with that as well because as these things become more complex, things become a lot more um, complex in terms of defending those complexities. Um, and realistically, the way that cybersecurity has uh, evolved has become its own discipline very, very much so, and even sub-disciplines within that um, uh, umbrella. And with technology, uh, although the, it, it certainly intersects, um, most practitioners, practitioners these days within the security space would lean almost towards more risk side rather than uh, IT engineering side. Um, uh, security has become a lot more holistic than just uh, installing a, a, a box with a blinking light. Um, yes, technology underpins how security is done, uh, but it's more the uh, implementation now rather than the actual idea or strategy behind uh, what security measures are needed in the first place for a business. Okay. And in terms of then the skills required for your job, say, for example, in the recruiting 
um, mm-hmm. fields. Do uh, do you find that those skills apply to recruiting on all different industries, or are there specific components and skills that are required for the cybersecurity side of things? Sure. Uh, I think you, no matter what you're doing, you need to have some sort of nuanced understanding of the industry in which you're operating. Um, it doesn't matter really what field that is, both in terms of recruitment uh, and, the, and then the security subset of that, um, or whether you're learning watercolor uh, as a subset of art. Uh, understanding how to do the thing is always going to be advantageous. Um, uh, from a candidate or even a client perspective, explaining what's required or what the skill set is of a particular role or function within a business um, both in terms of career history or from the client's perspective, what's required uh, uh, to fill a vacancy. Understanding exactly what that looks like on the ground um, so that things aren't lost in translation um, while those conversations are being held, it, it means that there's a lot less wasted energy uh, from both sides of the coin in terms of the, the candidate and the company um, explaining what it is they do. When you can finish the sentences for them, understand and have worked alongside these people, um, it, it becomes very, very beneficial for these businesses not to have to repeat themselves or, or dive into things that they don't need or shouldn't need to explain um so okay so sort of just just to clarify is it so almost like taking a complex idea and simplifying it for your your customers um, a little bit yeah so so uh, quite often um uh, recruitment's much aligned uh, maligned because it, it's people that don't necessarily have a background in the particular fields they're taking shortcuts they're just throwing cvs um, uh, to the client hoping something sticks by coincidence rather than by good management. Um, so what ends up happening is um, that client has to go through a pile of CVs. The candidate experience is that they've been put forward for positions they A, didn't know about or B, weren't suitable for, uh, unless just by pure ha- uh, happenstance that, that, that was suitable. Um, and everyone's time is wasted. It becomes very, very inefficient. Um, when it comes to being able to understand what the role looks like and the function looks like everyone's you know it should be a case of here are three cvs all of them are relevant for your uh, for your uh, vacancy mr client Uh, and then the same thing the candidate should know that if they're going forward to a particular interview that the role is very very suitable for them Um, as soon as you can actually know that that's going to be the case everything tends to fall in place from there so understanding how all of the different aspects and roles and responsibilities of cybersecurity fit together, kind of like Tetris, um, that's when you actually get the wins. Um, when you don't understand mm. the difference between um, uh, one role and another within the security sphere, uh, it's very, very hard to understand what you're actually hiring for, what the skill sets are, and what's negotiable. Uh, quite often you'll see a, a job description online. Um, so uh, for your listeners, uh, if they're applying to a role, they may see eight things listed. Um, and they've got seven of them, and they're like, oh, I haven't got all eight, I won't apply. Rubbish, apply. Uh, if you've got seven out of eight, that's fantastic. Uh, and quite often, there'll only be a couple, a handful, two or three, uh, that are actually core or fundamental to the role itself, and the rest are, are like, fingers crossed, um, I hope you got these skills, or more often than not, um, are just there as padding, because uh, the the person that drafted it, whether it's a line manager or or someone in HR or whatever the, the, the deal may be, or even the recruitment agent, just chuck some random stuff in to pat it out and actually make it look like a bigger, more important thing. Um, most job descriptions, if they're done well, should be very short and to the point and actually contain information about what it's like to work for that company rather than um, what are the requirements. You know, if I'm asking someone to be a, a fireman 
right? There's only a handful of things I need to, to actually specify in there to find the right person. Uh, and if I see the right person's details come across my desk, I'm gonna know they're the right person for it very quickly. Um, counterpoint is if I was to sit there and, and actually write a job ad in the format that most job descriptions are so poorly written out there um, uh, take, uh, it would say, must be familiar with hose uh, and so-and-so assembly. I, I don't know anything about firefighting, so I'm making this up. Um, <laughs> apologies to the firefighters in your audience. Um, uh, must be familiar with this particular make and model of hose and have worked with these particular trucks over this many years, uh, even though those trucks were only just released. Um, uh, just, there's a lot of nonsense in there that people feel compelled to put in for whatever reason. And it's, it seems to be just gravity, the, uh, the gravity of history. People, we've always done it like that, you know, like you look at a job description and there's just so much filler in there mm. and it dissuades people from applying and it really shouldn't. If you're a suitable applicant, you'll, you'll make your way through. Uh, just know what your key skills are and be able to, to sort of position against that. So in terms of candidates you were referring to and people that would be suitable for a job and the skills required... For perhaps young adults who are looking to get into the industry, specifically in your roles such as either in the sort of systems admin or the recruiting or the sort of even the director role eventually, what kind of skills would you consider to be vital for someone to get ahead and be shine in their in their either interview or in their CV or? Um, aptitude and attitude are the two critical things. And if you can demonstrate those two things and that that you're clever um, and you don't need to, you know, be a certifiable genius, but as long as you've got the attitude and aptitude there, that it goes such a long way. Um, uh, quite often, you know, a, a lot of students will come out and expect to step into a more senior role than they deserve. Um, and it's, it's a long slog. I mean, realistically, most people are in their careers uh, at least for 40 years. Um, and yes, they'll make some changes during that time, um, but they're usually pivots rather than um, complete realignments uh, in a different industry, although that does happen. So okay. if you can demonstrate that and be able to say, I want to get this particular role or uh, I'm interested in this particular field because of X, Y, and Z and know your reason why, if you know your why and can explain it articulately or even inarticulately for that matter, um, it's going to go a hell of a long way towards uh, getting some initial traction as a student or a grad uh, and even as you climb up the totem pole. Um, if you can say, I'm really keen to learn this particular subject or this particular area because of X, Y, and Z, that's going to give you a much, much uh, bigger uh, step up in the world than, um, yeah, I sort of fell into this and, um, you know, um, I've done some preliminary research and that's about it, right? If you have a real mm. genuine passion and can actually do that and talk about problem solving and have that enthusiasm, I'll take that any day. If you're, if you're diligent and punctual and, and able to, to sort of go that extra mile, like that's, that's worth more than uh, even, you know, additional certifications in a, a particular esoteric function. Um, mm. No one really cares about that. If you're hiring just off a checklist of like qualifications, you're not going to hire efficiently. If you find the right person at a behavioral level that can actually at least do the job, but is willing to actually learn the material that makes up what that job is really about, the fundamentals, that person's going to absolutely beat the hell out of the, the, the person that's just got the checklist of certifications. Okay, and I guess in order to sort of find that behavior, you have to sort of showcase yourself in a short interview and that's the way to sort of showcase that, would you Would you say? Yeah, I mean, you can also do it in other proactive measures throughout. Um, so if you're going for a particular role, 
instead of just applying to the role and then turning up to the interview, what can you learn about the person that's interviewing you? What can you learn about the company? It's all on LinkedIn. It's there. You can mm. stalk that person on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if, if there's a, someone that you know that's a one or two degree connection at that particular organization or even in that particular field, there's absolutely zero reason that you can't just reach out to them on LinkedIn and go, hey, I've got an interview coming up at this particular company um, that you're either working for or uh, have worked for historically and we know each other or um, our friend, a mutual friend, you can ask for an introduction to, to, to this particular person. Once you've actually got that person and say, hey, have you got five minutes to have a quick chat? I've just want, got some questions. Most people will say yes. They'll make the time. Mm. And surprising how shows, often. Yeah, I guess it also shows the interviewer, like the person taking the job, is that, oh, they're being proactive. They've gone outside it's, and they're exactly. just putting an application. It's the behavioral aspect, right? And, and then you've got additional ammunition that you can take into the interview and just say, look, I understand that you had this initiative three years ago um, and that uh, X, Y, and Z happened. Like, if you, you're suddenly like differentiating yourself from all the other people that are going for that particular role, you're, of course you're going to be ahead. Of course, you're going to be ahead. Mm. Um, assuming other things. And do you, so, uh, are of course, and and of course, and the other factors as well. I mean, do you consider um, a balance between having university experience or or actual real life experience? I know there's a fine line and balance, and there's all these different opinions out there. But from your opinion, your your life choices, do you believe that university is a is a route that would be more beneficial for you to take or a mixture of both life experience and university or more life experience? I mean, what are your thoughts? Look, look, it really comes down to the individual. I mean, education is never a waste of time, full stop. Even if you never use, I mean, a, a huge argument you'll hear within uh, particularly the tech industry because it moves so fast relative to something like English literature, for instance. Um, uh, the technology changes so fast that a lot of the, the, uh, languages that are taught for programming or um, the, the uh, networking protocols that are being taught, you know, other than TCP IP kicking around forever. Um, a lot of the concepts are, are redundant by the time you, you, you finish your degree. But it's not about the actual learning of that particular coding language. It's the concepts. It's the ability to adapt and think um, laterally to be able to, 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 to problem solve um, within a set of parameters. That sort of skill set is always going to be advantageous. Um, because it's teaching you not just how to think, but how to process information um, uh, from a finite set of variables. So if you can learn one programming language, like I don't know, COBOL or something like that, that's like older than me and you put together, um, uh, <laughs> the ability to, to learn something um, like a newer language like Rust or something like that, that's going to put you into a position where the same fundamental approach and skill sets um, and... Um, uh, fastidiousness when it comes to uh, logical thinking um, is going to put you in a very good stead to be able to approach any new language. Um, so from a, from a university perspective, absolutely. The actual skill sets and knowledge learned through there, probably less so, truth be told, uh, because it is so quickly moving. Anything that's taught inside of your university right now is not going to be relevant in, in five years you need to be a lifelong learner within technology and particularly within security because it does change if you're not interested in lifelong learning there are areas within security that uh, tend to move a lot slower and they tend to be a little bit more um, on the business aspect things like the the risk side of thing where the fundamentals don't shift quite so dramatically or quite so rapidly uh, that can still absolutely intersect um, with the technology side 
but the technology is more of a, a, a cudgel. It's more of a tool uh, to get the job done rather than the thing in and of itself. Mm. If you're really interested in the ones and zeros and the nuts and bolts of security, um, then you need to be like an enthusiastic learner. Like, what are you doing on the weekend? I'm essentially doing the same thing I do during my work day, except I'm not getting paid for it because I love it. You need to have that <laughs> attitude towards it. Um, uh, yeah. and, and it shouldn't feel like work if you're doing it properly. Um, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's one of the very few professions out there where people tend to, to make it not just their, their career, but also their hobby. Um, and in order to succeed in it, um, you don't need to be working, you know, 100 hour weeks or anything ridiculous like that. Um, uh, but you do need to, to have that enthusiasm for it over a long period of time and you need to foster that. Um, and you need to be able to um, appreciate and lean into new challenges and, and, and lifelong learning rather than just, I got my degree, I've done a short certificate, and now I'm just going to punch the clock, you know, do the nine to five. Yeah. That's not going to get you terribly far um, in anything, but particularly within the cybersecurity sphere. Mm, no, that's that's definitely a fair point. And in terms of sort of you mentioning technology and the the progress, the progressing of the security fields. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion? What what is your role in terms of technology? Do you do you have a lot of? Do you need a lot of technology experience to be in the roles of the cybersecurity industry? Um, hell no. I mean, there are plenty of cybersecurity um, uh, roles in this day and age that have nothing to do with the technology itself. Um, you don't need to have a networking background or an apps background or anything like that. Although you absolutely can. Um, it can be operational. It can be looking at things like um, uh, setting up policies or communications or, you know, from a PR side of things, even dealing with um, what situations um, may occur with things like a breach. How do you then handle that? You know, so everything these days should be a cybersecurity role in every line of business. Um, uh, and a lot more of it because of the risk profile and the changes in what the, 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 the attack surfaces are for most businesses, um, or the vectors at least. Um, everything, every, every, every division within an organization uh, intersects with security. Uh, so, you know, there are evangelist roles talking about anti-phishing campaigns or security awareness training. There are so many functions um, uh, within the security realm now uh, outside of just the engineering side, it's not even close to funny. So if, if it's really not the ones and zeros that float your boat, plenty of other opportunities out there in that in that regard uh, within the security realm. Great. Well, it definitely doesn't float my boat, so that's always comforting to hear. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and that's fine, right? Like um, there, there is unfortunately a, a bit of a puritanical uh, sentiment um, within the industry around, you know, oh, you're not you're not a, a true cybersecurity professional if you weren't geeky at least at one stage in your career, or couldn't, you know, um, uh, define every level of OSI and you know talk through what that looks like. I mean, those fundamental skills are absolutely important for some roles, but they're also complete, completely worthless to to other functions within cybersecurity, um, and it just becomes mm. a little bit of. Um, a uh, one-upsmanship competition for a lot of people within the security realm that they have some archaic um, alchemist-level knowledge um, that only they and a handful of specialists actually have. And it's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. The whole purpose of cybersecurity is to improve uh, the position and the posture um, of an individual or an organisation in terms of what the attackers are doing. Anyone that's sort of fighting against that, against those attackers um, or, or those threats, 
uh, is someone that's you know with working for cybersecurity one way or another. Mm, mm. Okay, really interesting. And then, okay, now sort of moving on a little bit, and I know that everyone loves this question, but is there any sort of mistakes or regrets that you have? And it, through your life choices, whether you've decided to take one avenue over another or whether you decide to not or pick up a skill or pick up a skill that didn't help you as much as you could have. I mean, what kind of, have there ever been anything that you've done that you feel could have been handled better to better excel in the field that you're currently in? Um, <laughs> I think Lotus Notes. Um, uh, no, I, I joke, sort of. Um, no, um, in, in terms of regrets, you know, because everything was fairly organic for me, um, and um, I, I I don't like to to uh, put anything under a microscope uh, in isolation. Um, it's got me to where I am now, and I'm very happy with where I am now. Uh, so even any things that have turned up that have not necessarily been ideal choices at the time and in that particular myopic context um, have certainly changed because they've shifted. You know, even if they were quote unquote bad for me at the time. Um, they put me in a position to have to change something or pick up a new skill or uh, do a small pivot to the point where I am now. Mm. Um, and there's there's not a lot that I would change to, to where I am now other than maybe um, be able to fast forward things to, to where I want them to be in the future. Um, and that's what I'm working towards. Mm. Um, I'm in a pretty happy place when it comes to the career side of things, when it comes to the business side of things. Everything's moving in the right direction and it's just a matter now of um, plowing on with stuff. So I, I think everyone everyone sort of will at some time or another say, I've made a critical mistake. Um, and it's easy to do that and beat yourself up for it. What's better is to go, okay, where can I go from now? Um, so any regrets that you have, um, you just need to adapt. Everything is a pothole in, in, in your career. Nothing should be a wall, uh, meaning that uh, it may be uncomfortable and, and cause some bumps for you, but it's not going to stop you. You're traveling forward right? Mm. If you hit a brick wall, you need to do some serious evaluation and maybe change careers, change fields completely, whatever it might be. Um, but if it's just a, a small headache, treat it as such. Don't, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. It really is about identifying what mm. the future trends are. And if you're really immersed in cybersecurity inside the field and love it and want to keep rolling with it in whatever sub area that is, um, you'll get there. You'll absolutely get there. Mistakes as you sort of put it, is almost a a matter of a lesson. I mean, mistakes are lessons. And if you don't ever have lessons, you can't learn anything to then progress further. So I feel like mistakes are almost vital for for life choices, especially in, 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 in industries and stuff. And, you know, just like Steve Harvey said, when you, similar to your analogy with the wall, if you get a door slammed in your face, it's generally God telling you that, you know, you've got to move to a new direction and specifically you don't have to you know the whole god thing it might be one or thing or another but the idea is that like you're saying if you ever hit something it's generally a good thing because you can then know that that's where your end point is and then you just like you said move on move on with life life is not easy but but those things can really help uh esoteric film called better off dead from the i guess late 80s uh and the advice the ski instructor uh, gave to the skier for the competition to save the rec center or whatever the hell it was. Um, uh, he said, what I want you to do is go down the mountain really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. And it's like on its on the surface, very shallow, poor advice. 
But if you, if you treat mm. it as some sort of Zen cone or something like that, it becomes a very, very fundamental mm. way of looking at not just life, not just your career, but life in general. Like, if just go where you want to go, whatever takes your interest. And if something gets in your way, just turn a little bit. Um, and if you're, um, mm. if you're in the engineering field like I was, um, uh, from a technology perspective, and then something else comes up, like the recruitment side, I, I said, okay, this is not a fundamental change. It's still very much in the technology industry and sector. But it's something different and it's a little bit more people focused than staring at a screen for, you know, 12 hours plus a day and then going home and doing it for another four or five. Um, uh, it's something that, that um, provided me with a, a um, new career path, something completely and revolutionarily different, but still fundamentally based on a lot of the same knowledge and skill sets. Um, so I turned. Right. And what was that? Did I have any regrets? Mm -hmm. I definitely second guess myself a hell of a lot, particularly in the first year. Until I found that groove. Once I found that groove, then it's very hard to, to sort of um, say, oh, this was a mistake because I was enjoying it. I was making a hell of a lot of money and uh, it, it was something new and it was leveraging all the right parts and stretching the right muscles, um, uh, both in terms of the technology and understanding mm. it. But I was also learning a hell of a lot about the technology side because you have to have that helicopter view. Mm. So uh, sometimes, you know, uh, 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 a change or a, a shift as dramatic as what I felt that was at the time isn't that dramatic. Uh, and it gives you a new perspective with which you can sort of manage the other aspects of your career going forward. Mm, yeah, no, you're right. That, that makes definitely sense. In terms of now sort of taking a step back from looking at the past, let's look into the future. What do you think, how do you think the cybersecurity industry is evolving, especially within your specific role? Do you think that that, that element will continue to grow fourfold or do you think that there are other other aspects of the industry that will see massive growth in the next decade? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I, I think as I was saying um, uh, earlier on, technology uh, used to have security bolted onto it uh, back in you know even the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, there were very few cybersecurity professionals um, in, in terms of number. Um, there were general administrators or engineers that dealt with the security aspects. Now, there are absolutely myriad people inside a cybersecurity team, inside an enterprise organization, or consulting into smaller businesses um, with various disciplines um, uh, that just didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, just mm. didn't exist. Now they do. Uh, what's fundamentally gonna change is there's gonna be a homogenization in service capabilities, in my opinion, um, where if you look at things like cloud, for instance, while it absolutely hasn't made infrastructure specialists you know, uh, useless or, or completely redundant in, in need, it's concentrated the requirement for it into smaller, both geographic areas as well as uh, operational and technological areas. Uh, and by compressing that down, there's far fewer opportunities. I mean, the, the, the amount of infrastructure engineering roles now, because no one's on-premises anymore, relatively speaking, um, that means there's far less opportunity in that space. Um, and that's afforded by things like cloud adoptions. Um, so if we're looking at security as a whole, I think that's going to be much the same. It's going to become very heavily commoditized and much more concentrated mm. in some regards. Uh, and what's going to be increasing is more a generalist understanding. Um, a, a, having a particular niche in one particular function within security is all well and good, but experts, uh, you know, they, they, they're built a, built a table with one leg. Um, it doesn't mm. take much for, for that to get kicked out and for everything to fall over. 
Um, having a few extra legs is definitely a good idea. Sure, by all means, focus on one particular element, um, but being a generalist and being able to join the dots is gonna be far more important because you need to be able to understand how these things not only work in isolation, but how they interact in a larger uh, milieu and, and how they actually work uh, in a business context, in a real world context. Mm. And in terms of your sort of expression of this viewpoint, is that from a general security perspective or a, or a cyber security perspective or a specific job in terms of the recruitment, the recruiting process? Well, I think both, to be quite frank. Um, if you're yeah. a security specialist in, I don't know, identity and access management at the moment, um, that's not a field that's going away anytime soon. It'll evolve, it'll change, but there'll be fundamentally some shift in technology or adoption of technologies or a handful or something new, who knows. Um, that will not necessarily render it irrelevant, um, uh, but will become a lot more concentrated. Something will win that fight. Uh, I doubt it's going to be biometrics. They've, they've had their time. Uh, but there's a lot of passwordless technologies that are coming out now that, that are doing uh, interesting stuff. And like, you know, they're, they're going to cause some sort of paradigm shift. Maybe the existing ones won't, but something will. So by illustration, a lot of the people that are experts in a particular area or a product suite or whatever it might be, are suddenly at a loose end very quickly. So when, mm. what do they do then, right? So they, they're gonna have to pivot. Being able to, to look at things from a zoomed out perspective, particularly if you're looking to climb up to the awards, the executive level and be a CISO or something like that further down the track, you need to understand the end result of what these technologies provide. Um, it's like being a master carpenter and wondering about what brand of nails or hammers that you're using. Like, once you become so familiar with the tool types and the options that are out there, you don't need to think about the tools so much. And it's much more about the overall idea of what, what you're trying to do and being able to, to, to have that vision in mind. Without that, uh, that clarity of end result, I mean, how can you possibly build that, that house, right? It's, it's impossible. Mm. Having the plans, having everything in place is what's important. Uh, then what tools you're using become largely material. So a generalist approach um, to uh, security, even if it's within just a handful of areas within that, that area, you need to understand the more holistic context. And if you're hiring, you need to be able to understand how all of those different areas fit together. Again, back mm. to that Tetris analogy. You need to be able to not, not be one of the blocks. You need to be able to understand how all the blocks fit together. Mm. So do you see then the security industry coming into... Um, companies that sort of absorb and amalgamate together to make some mega companies or you see it diluting to have a lot of small business owners running the the cyber security areas so would there be more business owners or would it be more employees of big business um that's an interesting question i think realistically what will end up happening is with that homogenization i think it'll run something very similar to uh what's happened with cloud technologies um originally there were a million and one different cloud technologies out there. Everyone had their own on-premises stuff. Uh, and it was just, it was uh, kind of like a primordial soup of ones and zeros. Um, and what settled out eventually was just there's a handful of cloud operators now that anyone would realistically go with. Yes, there are some more niche ones, but, mm. uh, you know, there's just a handful of big ones. These guys all have... Um, a fairly similar offering in a lot of ways, like the end result. You know, if you if you really look at the... The, the capabilities that they bring to the table. Um, yes, there are pluses and minus to all, but whatever. The, the point is, what will happen with security is, in my opinion, will be much the same. A lot of these uh, tools will form a suite if they're individual at the moment, 
uh, and a lot of that stuff will be outsourced. What won't be outsourced and can't be outsourced is really the adherence and practice of using that stuff. So again, to go back to the uh, carpenter analogy uh, or builder analogy, um, you can give anyone a hammer and tell them to put a nail in, but whether they hit their thumb or not, it comes down to their ability to wield the thing effectively. Mm. It's not a problem with a hammer. It's a problem with the person using it, right? So mm. what will happen is uh, whether it's a, a, an external consultant working with smaller businesses or a, a managed service provider or um, uh, internal, uh, it'll be how they're using that stuff that will become the valuable skill set, how they can take the various tools that are afforded to them um, uh, and be able to implement them um, not just pragmatically, but effectively and optimally. Okay. And let's say you were talking with a current uni student or even your younger self, um, young adults who are looking to get into the industry, and you're talking about you know getting the tools. What would be a good role that a person who was interested in the, in the security industry, but not entirely sure what path they take because they don't have an experienced enough of these mm-hmm. different fields, where would you think would be a good one to start to sort of give a taste of multiple aspects so then you can find a better route to take into the into the industry sure uh, always go broad before you go specific right um mm. uh, i mean again i've been leaning on analogies because my brain's not terribly good um during this interview <laughs> but uh, if you want to look at a, the medical field you don't go straight to a neurosurgeon right you have to go via a gp and there's a filtering system almost that happens there uh, and it's the generalists that will help you understand um uh, what the options are before you start to diagnose more specifically what the requirements are for uh, remedy. So if we're looking at um, security in the same sphere, um, get a broad, getting a, as broad a possible exposure uh, so that you don't paint yourself into a corner by getting into a, a specificity uh, in terms of your, your career position type too early on. Uh, it's going to allow you to make smarter choices because you know other things exist. Um, uh, mm. Because if you, you know, as your first job, end up in a very niche environment, it's very hard to get exposure beyond that niche environment um, uh, later on because you, you, you sort of already uh, invested and there's a bit of a, a sunk cost fallacy attached with that then to say, ah, oh, I've been doing this for six, seven, eight, whatever it is, years. Um, uh, why would I change now? It just seems like a step backwards. So mm. starting off in the more generalist areas is probably a wiser step. So you can do that through looking at role types that have a broader responsibility or teams that have a broader responsibility or we'll work, work inside organizations or positions that are going to have that latitude for you to, to be able to see more. Sorry, I was going to say, do you have any job titles that, you know, just as an example, that could be a benefit to that sort of generalist description? Absolutely. So looking at something even uh, that seemingly as specific as a cyber operations um, uh, junior or something along those lines is fine. Uh, but if you can get okay. in fundamentally at a, any technology level um, uh, as someone that ha- is going to get the foundations right in, within the technology sphere, if that's your interest. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's really going to come down as much as anything to, to um, the actual company you're working for and the, the, the space in which it operates. Um, rather than a specific job description. So if you start off as a uh, widget handler inside a Fortune 500 company, Mm. uh, your ability to move laterally is going to be much more difficult. Um, And and that's not a a universal truth, but typically it's going to be more difficult because you've been pigeonholed into that. You're a small cog in a very big machine. So being able to move that cog around is very difficult. Uh, particularly after you've been there for a couple of years and, and sort of 
become part of that uh, infrastructure. Whilst if you're in a smaller company uh, or in a consulting field, uh, so working for a consultancy, you're going to be drop, dropping from um, wearing multiple hats and, and jumping from one role function to another a lot, a lot. And that's going to give you a much broader experience. Mm. So if I had to say to somebody at the beginning of their career, the first, the best thing they can probably do is work with a smaller company where you're going to get good mentoring and start to learn what the various responsibilities and these various parts and how they all fit together um, from someone that's got more experience than you. That's going to be fantastic. If you can work inside a consultancy where you're going to be working from one project to another, to another, to another, that's going to give you a breadth of experience on how things operate in different environments much quicker than some um, homogenous singular entity that isn't going to change very much mm. where you're just maintaining things. Um, uh, that being said, you know, stepping inside a, a fortune 500 company with the right team and the right mentor absolutely will give you the exposure. They'll have you move job functions and go and sit with different teams, especially if that's something that you raise often and early uh, in your conversations with your line managers um, to say, I'm really interested in getting a broad understanding. I don't want to just be a widget repairman. I want to understand all of the things. Um, that sort of thing is rewarded. Uh, and, you know, it's a case of the squeaky wheel sometimes too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess it's always a matter of being, just being proactive and trying to find those those people that will be willing to help because there's always going to be people in any industry that would. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of finding ones that, that do help and will take on a mentorship role just, just for the help that you can get ahead and, like you said, understand the industry because that's that's the best way you're going to do it by understanding first and then building your skills from there yeah exactly right and understanding where the, the vacuums lie for um your skills and capabilities when you actually see the result you want to be so if you have a visibility towards a job functional role and you're like oh that's so interesting i want to do that if you can get seconded into the team which can happen in big organizations or in smaller organizations come up next to it and actually just pick the brains of the person that you're working next to um, to find out the nuances and, and the realities of that particular role or function, then you can start working towards it. But if you start working mm-hmm. towards something blind and you don't know what that end result looks like, you may not end up liking where you are. Mm. And I guess if worse comes to worse, now you've realized that you don't know where you are, you might have used some time and maybe it was a mistake, but now you've learned that that's maybe not the exact it, place hundred percent where you want to be. Absolutely, Lucky. Like, realistically, the, the critical thing... Uh, is people look at, and this goes back to our conversation about regrets earlier, mm. quite often learning what you don't want to do is just as valuable as learning what you do want to do, mm. all right? Um, it, it can provide parameters around which you will no longer accept a role. Great, you've just mm. excluded a whole bunch of stuff that you hate doing. This is good news, right? This is not something mm. to be shying away from. You know, there's t- I mean, this goes to, to anything, relationships, the lot, right? Um, if... If you can find the things that make you unhappy and you can steer away from those, the chances are that your good job's going to be a much better experience for you um, yeah. if you exclude those things, right? Of course. Mm. Um, and sometimes there are realities in any role where you're like, oh, I hate this part, and you've got to do it, right? But you've got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. But you shouldn't have to suffer through it, right? It shouldn't just be like, I don't want to get out of bed today. How can I like take the work day off? Anything that where you find yourself that demotivated, you're probably in the wrong space. Mm. I mean, would you rather be in square one and not 
have so sort of choice paralysis you decide to do nothing you're still going to be at square one by the end of the day but if you're doing something you've decided you don't like it then you can tick something off the list go great don't want to do that one and now you're still a step ahead of the person who hasn't chosen to do anything insightful mate like and Mm. i don't say that in a patronizing way like it it takes most people years and years to actually learn the reality of that if they ever do Mm. um being able to 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 reset adapt start again um, but with additional information is like playing a video game, right? Like where mm. you've, you've died on the first three levels, but you've learned how not to die because you've made those yes. mistakes, right? And then you eventually exactly. complete the level. You know, there's, there's no computer mm. game that's ever been made where you play it from start to finish um, uh, without so much as a hiccup, right? Because it'd be mm. pretty, pretty bad if you did, right? And the more frustrating ones and the ones where you, you feel like you've gone on a bit of a journey and had to learn mis- from mistakes and overcome challenge- challenges and puzzles... They're the ones that are actually the most memorable and most fun. Um, and mm. your career should be much the same and it should be gamified almost to that extent as well. Um, you know, leveling mm. up. And I mean, the analogy stands. Um, mm. And being able to, to look at those mistakes and go, okay, I know what I don't want to do. I've learned from that. Now I, I, I want to try something new. There's nothing wrong with mm. that, all right? You just need to, to be judicious, particularly if you've got responsibilities like a family or whatever it might be that you need to look after. Um, uh, you may need to, to sort of manage the, your, your own appetite for that, that risk or for that, that change. But at the same time, um, if you're able to embrace those elements as much as you can, you're not going to often find yourself um, at a loose end for opportunity. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, definitely. And, and I guess on that analogy with the puzzles in the game, that's a great ending that I like. Um, thank you so much, Cameron, for coming on today to talk with us about your experiences and your insights into these kind of things because I think the audience will take a lot away from this. And thank you just again for coming on. Um, absolute pleasure, mate. And um, happy to be back anytime. And um, what you're doing is really, really um, important. Uh, and hopefully, um, um, if I'm the best person you have on, you're in trouble. But uh, assuming otherwise, uh, <laughs> you're definitely doing a, a great service for the, the, the uh, students and, and recent grads that are, are trying to figure out how to navigate this space. Thank you. Okay. Have a good one. Cheers, buddy. Bye. This has been another KBI Media Production.